This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, which is now in the midst of a major disaster. Sure, we already knew that, but now the president has made it official with a formal declaration. As of last night, there have been 1,977 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Florida and 23 fatalities. Despite the growing toll from coronavirus, Governor Ron DeSantis is still refusing to impose a statewide lockdown or stay-at-home order. Instead, he's throwing shade on the states that have, saying they may have made the situation worse. He is, however, imposing additional restrictions on anyone who travels to Florida from the New York City area, including Floridians who visited the Big Apple. The state unemployment office is staffing up to deal with a flood of claims from people laid off because of the virus. Today's guest on the Sunrise interview is the state senator who's been prodding the DeSantis administration to make it easier for workers to file. The guy who made sure Florida has the stingiest unemployment system in the country is now threatening to tank a federal coronavirus bailout bill. Senator Rick Scott says the unemployment benefits are too generous. The University of Central Florida has a new president. The Board of Governors of the State University System has approved a UCF trustee's decision to hire Alexander Cartwright. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the latest from Florida Man, featuring two cases of indecent exposure from Jupiter. The city, not the planet. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, March 26th. Donald Trump declares a major disaster in Florida over the coronavirus outbreak. Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Marco Rubio, and Senator Rick Scott all requested the presidential declaration to get more federal assistance to state, tribal, and local governments that are battling COVID-19. Trump's action makes federal funding available for crisis counseling for affected individuals. The declaration will also allow more federal resources to flow to the state. Governor DeSantis defending his decision not to impose a statewide lockdown for coronavirus by criticizing the states that have already done it, with a special attention to New York and California. DeSantis says New York City has now eclipsed China and Italy as the epicenter of the outbreak, and New Yorkers are flying to Florida every day. And so we're really rooting for New York to get through it. Uh, you know, we hope that they're able to, uh, uh, to keep people in good health. Uh, obviously, they have a lot of cases. Uh, but what's happened is, and it's a problem for Florida, is once the uh, shelter in place was issued, people started fleeing the city. And they started getting on flights and going places all across the world. Uh, well, the United States, I should say. But many of those flights um, are here in Florida. And so once we saw this uptick, Uh, I issued an executive order requiring everybody arriving from the New York City area to self-quarantine for 14 days. We have National Guard and some other health folks at the airports. All these folks are having, uh, they're in for, they have to provide information. They have to provide a place where they'll be self-isolating. And that is enforceable under the executive order. So they could face adverse consequences. My sense is most people will want to self-isolate. I think they want to listen to directives, um, but in case they don't, um, you know, we're, we're going to have uh, an ability to deal with it. Um, this virus has been circulating very widely in New York City for certainly weeks and maybe more than that. And so I've also issued an executive order that any Floridian, anybody in Florida right now who, who has been in New York City area for the last uh, three weeks uh, should self-isolate and should identify any people in Florida that they had close contact with and and let them know 
that they had come from the hot zone um, and that these folks should should check their their symptoms. New York is one of the states that ordered a lockdown and DeSantis says that made the problem worse because people fled the state. So he's ordered the National Guard to meet planes from New York City to screen passengers and inform them they must self-isolate for 14 days once they arrive. But DeSantis claims a statewide lockdown in Florida wouldn't work because that would include people in areas that don't have any confirmed cases of COVID-19. It does kind of make no sense. I mean, you know, you're telling people if you live in, you know, some random town somewhere that you must be imprisoned in your home. Don't leave your home. Don't do it. But yet people are riding the subway in New York City. People fly all over the place from some of the hot zones. I mean, you know, really? How does that make any sense if we're trying to, to, to contain this thing? So some of these measures, I think, are more symbolic where people can say they're doing something. But when you let outlets like that, then that's not really solving the problem. And those flights, um, I think, have really been, and I'm not saying you can't have a flight anywhere in the country, but as soon as this happened in Wuhan, the flights from China were turned off. As soon as Italy began having the outbreak, they shut off the flights from Italy. And then all of Europe, when Europe started getting the outbreak. So we have an even bigger outbreak within our own country in the New York City area, and yet the flights have accelerated. So we can't do it in the state level, but what I did do is we did put in the screening. We're gonna have people self-isolate. Uh, we have their information. Uh, we'll be following up to make sure they're doing that. Uh, but it's really, really important. It's also, you know, the flight attendants, everyone who'd be on that plane. Remember, there was a guy that came from New York City to Palm Beach who tested positive and he still got on the plane and then got in, got, came down to Florida. And then he was saying he wasn't going to self-isolate. And then he finally said he would. Sometimes it's just reckless, reckless behavior, um, you know, when you have people doing that. And it just, it's unfortunate because you have people who have now lost their jobs. You have businesses who may never be able to recover, family-owned businesses. The unemployment numbers in the state of Florida, you know, we get 200, 500, 1,000 a day for most of, the, most of the time up until this point. You know, now we're getting 15 to 20,000 unemployment claims a day. Uh, what's going to happen to those people? What's going to happen to them if they can't put food on the table, if they can't pay uh, their, their rent or they can't pay their bills or take care of their families? Um, you're going to see not only economic consequences from that, you are going to see a lot of public health consequences from that. Uh, I'm worried about the mental health impact uh, of what's happened. I'm worried about uh, drug abuse uh, based on some of the dislocations. I'm worried about suicides. I'm worried about domestic violence and I'm worried about child abuse. In any situation like that, all that stuff goes up. The governor has issued a statewide recommendation that people stay home for the next two weeks, but that only applies to certain people, seniors and the sick. We in the state of Florida uh, have asked all seniors 65 and older and anybody with a serious underlying medical condition to stay at home. Uh, this, is, uh, this group of individuals are the ones who suffer the worst consequences if they contract the virus. And obviously people have talked about the elderly, but an underlying medical condition, if you have some of these conditions like diabetes and some of the other things, um, you know, lung problems, uh, you could be 30 years old or 40 years old but that underlying condition, uh, it, it's not, it doesn't react well uh, if you get infected by the virus. And so it's not just elderly, it's also 
uh, serious underlying medical condition. And uh, you know, our recommendation um, and our public health advisory um, is to stay at home uh, for the next two weeks. Uh, we'll see how the data comes in and see uh, what it's looking like and obviously be able to reassess. But that's really the best way that we can prevent bad outcomes here in the state of Florida. And if you're somebody just in the general public, but particularly in those groups, um, you know, just assume as you're whatever you're doing, anyone you come in contact with potentially could uh, have it. And so keep a keep a safe distance from people, uh, wash your hands and uh, just understand that um, this is not a, a virus like a like a measles where, um, you know, it can infect 10, 12 people you know, very easily. Uh, this is one that really if you're in close contact, you know, that's when you're more vulnerable to it. And so avoid crowds, um, avoid close contact with people uh, who may end up uh, and assume some people may have have the virus. The governor may not support a statewide lockdown, but he is supporting city and county county leaders who have imposed stay-at-home orders because of the virus. He says it's a bit like the difference between a scalpel and a blunt instrument. We have a situation here where, you know, we obviously have outbreak in southeast Florida. You know, so they've gone to a stay at home. I work with them on that. I mean, we issued some of the orders to harmonize Dow, uh, uh, Palm Beach and, uh, and Broward counties. And then obviously sent the central Florida counties work together. Um, and, and I think that that's fine. But I also think there are certain parts of the state where you have more sporadic cases and, and to issue to order someone not to be able to earn a paycheck when them going to work is not going to have any effect on what we're doing with the virus, um, you know, that is something that I think is inappropriate. Understand, when you do some of these things, people respond different ways, and you got to think about what the second order effect is. Clearly, when New York did shelter in place, that caused thousands and thousands of people to flee. And so that's going to make it more difficult, I think, nationwide for us to be able to, uh, to get a grip on this stuff. Um, but, you know, you look at California, they were ordered not to go to work, and so you look, they're out on, you know, partying, they're at beaches and stuff, you probably are less dangerous just driving your car going to the office than being with crowds of hundreds of people. So you just got to think it through, but I've supported the, the local things and it's a, it's, a, it's a more surgical approach, but it also is um, mitigating any damage uh, that would be done for, for blunt instruments being applied in places um, throughout the state where it wouldn't be appropriate. The governor has also expanded his order that visitors from New York self-isolate if they come to Florida, and that includes people who drive here. But they can't enforce that without setting up checkpoints on the interstates. And DeSantis says that's not going to happen because it would disrupt the supply chain. It's a tough issue because we could do set up some checkpoints and stuff and say, okay, you need it. Did you come from New York? Where'd you come from? The problem is, is that that requires... Um, putting people there and it requires a process which will then clog up the ability to get supplies in to get people to restock the grocery stores so you know we think you gotta just have the the lanes of commerce open everything's closed for people right now and so they need to be able to get food they could go through a drive-through they could do takeout they go to the grocery store i mean that's really what they have if that stuff starts to be depleted then this is very very difficult uh, to be able to sustain and so i think it's just logistically speaking difficult however anybody who's driving in it's not just the flights uh, you are required if you're coming from the New York City area to self-isolate for 14 days. Um, and that does require penalties uh, if you don't. So we would urge everybody who's coming in, uh, if you're coming in, actually we would urge everyone 
just follow the directive of your state. Um, you know, don't defy it. Of course, tens of thousands have defied it. Uh, and so we're ending up in a situation um, where, where, where we're having to, to, to try to pick up some of those pieces. But you need to self-isolate for 14 days if you're coming out, particularly of that New York City area. Supplies are still a problem. The state is running short, doesn't have enough PPEs, personal protective equipment for healthcare workers. But Florida Emergency Management Director Jared Moskowitz says things are improving. We are starting to really turn the tide, uh, get around the corner on getting this PPE in, get it out and rolling. We have over 5,000 mission requests, and those are being filled on an ongoing basis in, our, in conjunction with our partners at Florida Health, making sure, obviously, that we're serving uh, the most critical needs first uh, in hospitals and nursing homes and ALFs and first responders, obviously, that you know are running down to the last couple days of, of PPE. So uh, we've ordered 7.8 million N95 masks. We've asked the federal government for 2 million uh, from the strategic national stockpile. And thankfully, uh, the federal government has pushed uh, a good deal of product from the SNS here to help fill gaps until our vendors could start uh, getting things in from manufacturing plants around the country and, and out of the country, quite frankly. We're flying stuff in uh, from all over the place. So you're talking gowns and gloves and booties and Tyvek suits. Uh, you're talking about the 2,000 ventilators we've ordered, the 5,000 ventilators we've asked for the federal government. In the other room, we have hospital beds that are coming in. We've ordered 3,000 of those. We've ordered 150 ICU beds. Uh, so this is a massive, uh, basically, medical operation, making sure that why, while we don't necessarily have that need today, making sure that we're ready uh, to have that need in the future. A lot of people think emergency management in the state of Florida is just hurricanes, uh, but all of our emergency managers uh, around uh, the state and all these different counties know uh, that we have a lot more responsibilities and we got to be thinking ahead. Uh, it's why actually today the uh, Army Corps is out there doing assessments for us, looking at old hospital buildings, old hospital wings, trying to figure out which ones we can bring online to add bed capacity. Uh, we have field hospitals that we've deployed to have a gap measure uh, before that we can bring those new hospitals uh, uh, online. The state is also staffing up at the unemployment office, which is being flooded with complaints from people who've been laid off because of the coronavirus. DeSantis says they were not ready for the deluge. Some of the effects of these people who have been put out of work and who've been laid off, um, no one's really talking about them. Um, but, you know, those are folks who were doing the right thing, and now they're in situations where their family's future may be, uh, may be in jeopardy. And so we've got to keep them in mind. But I will tell you, these unemployment numbers, I mean, we would typically get, as you know, our unemployment rate in, in Florida the last time before this happened was 2.8%. We would get 250, 500, 1,000. It would vary kind of unemployment claims every day. You know, these numbers we've seen lately, 21,000 uh, uh, unemployment claims yesterday, 18,000 the day before uh, on March 20th, another 21,000. So this is a huge increase, and it just shows you how so many people have been dislocated. We're working on getting them the relief. We want the federal government to do stuff as well. But um, man, that's, uh, that's, gonna have, that's not only gonna have an economic cost, that will have a health cost unless we work hard to remedy that as soon as possible. The problem here is that Florida's unemployment system is one of the worst in the country if you're a worker. Benefits are lower than any other state and the qualifying process is a bit like untying a Gordian knot. But the Department of Economic Opportunity has cut some of the red tape in hopes of making it easier. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, we talk with State Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez, who's been prodding the DeSantis administration to make the system more worker-friendly. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics.
We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Our listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is State Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez of Miami, who's been working for the past week to get the Department of Economic Opportunity to reduce the red tape for people who file for unemployment. He says Florida has one of the worst systems in the country, and there should be major changes to make the whole system more worker-friendly. Last week, I had been in discussion with the Department of of Economic Opportunity here in Florida, which runs our re-employment assistance, which uh, otherwise for everybody else is the unemployment insurance program. And there are a number of things that we need to do. Well, we've needed to do them for a very long time. The system here in Florida is probably the least worker-friendly system in the entire country, competing a little bit with uh, North Carolina. There's a number of things we need to do to make the system actually work for those who need it. But there's a couple things that can, can be done by executive order. And one of them is something the governor, a couple days later, said that he would go ahead and, 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 you know, like his words were cut the red tape on a particular aspect of it. And the aspect is something that makes sense, which is the, that you have to show that you are able and available for work. And so it's the work search requirement. And the obvious issue is that during uh, the current economic crisis, let's say you're a table server, well, you're not able you, what does that job search look like right. there, there are the no jobs out are, there exactly that's yeah. right and, and the process of going and looking and finding for a job i mean that, they're requiring in-person contact that's just that's just not allowed so so that's what so the order that came out today and was published in the register which is the official way that it becomes public addresses that it waives it retroactively to uh, march 15th it all and it So for the period of March 15th until May 2nd, and of course there could be another order that comes out uh, if necessary after that, but anybody who applies during that period, there's two things. Number one, they aren't required to apply online or in person, so somebody could apply by phone. Now, we could talk more about the logistical issues that they have uh, at the department in terms of accepting applications, but the second thing is that they waive the work requirement the work search requirement entirely for that period of time, March retroactive to March 15th until May 2nd for those who have applied. So that's a really important thing for people to know and get the word out there uh, that those individuals who, again, are not able to show that they're out there looking for work and searching for work, um, that, you know, that they will be able to apply. And, and again, our system is not very uh, worker-friendly here, right? So it, it's not going to be a whole lot of benefits relative to other states, uh, but it is important for people who need the benefits to go ahead and apply um, for them. Now, as, as you pointed out, Florida has, you know, about the lowest compensation rates in the country. Is there anything the governor can do about that by executive order? Well, well I'm hoping so. Uh, I've asked him to do it. He said that they're looking at it, but 
one of the, you know, let's have him tell me no. Uh, in reality, many of the things that are broken about our system were put in place by the legislature with the blessing and encouragement of then Governor Rick Scott. Uh, and some of the things would require legislation in order to undo, which is the you know, a lot of the rules that are just really anti-worker and you know really function to make it harder. So when you know if people ask me, oh well, how anti-worker can it be? For those who actually meet the criteria and qualify for benefits, only 28% make it through to actually receive any benefits. So. And again, that's prior to the crisis. So it's a little bit like running the gauntlet. Um, and, I, and I think uh, those who have been trying to apply in this particular moment uh, who are listening uh, will, will probably say it's not like running the gauntlet. It's like trying to run through a wall, right? Uh, people will call and be on hold for three hours. People try to get through the website, and it's, it's a challenge. So on top of the rules, one of the challenges uh, has been just the operational machinery of applying. It's just, it's been, they made it really hard for people to apply in order, frankly, to achieve that really low rate of 28% of people actually getting benefits. And so please, uh, anybody who is needing the system, please apply, please uh, persevere. If you make it, I hate to say it this way, it sounds awful, but if you make it through and you know others who are frustrated, uh, please kind of support them through the process to make sure that they get the benefits of you know that that they're due, uh, because it is a really cumbersome system, and with respect to that, it's not something that was in the executive order, but uh, the the director of uh, economic opportunity uh, told me this morning they're staffing up uh, an extra hundred positions in order to be able to handle the call volume, uh, and they've made system upgrades, and I'm still waiting on reports uh, to see you know, the experience that people have had on these system upgrades. So they have been making some upgrades. Uh, this executive order, it's helping. Uh, we need to continue down this path and, and really reform the system. There's $4 billion sitting in the trust fund that's supposed to go to people. So we do have the funds in this particular moment to help people who are out of work. It's just the operational machinery and the rules to actually get that to people. You mentioned the logistical problems, and I wanted to see if there have been any assurances that that's going to improve, because when we tried to, to call in yesterday, well, first, what, on the website, we got kicked off uh, repeatedly. It was just overcrowded. And then when that happens, you get an error message saying you have to call this number. And then when you call that number, you get a recording saying, basically, we're too busy for now. Go to the website. So I'm just wondering if they promise you that they're going to make it any easier to even apply in the first place. Listen, I, I, I and, and others are continually um, pressuring them, offering help, offering any advice. Uh, those are not new to this crisis. I'll tell you that even before this crisis, when the, uh, you know, the unemployment rate was relatively low, uh, they, they were, the state of Florida is infamous for having this connect system, which just didn't work. It crashed all the time. And again, that's the situation we were in coming into this crisis. And this crisis is not simply the number of people that are now out of work and looking for assistance. It's the incredibly short span of time in which that happened, right? Uh, a number of people who are applying uh, last week or this week, you asked them a month ago uh, if they had any idea that they'd be out of work, uh, you know, they, they would have looked at you funny. Um, this, this has come fast and furious. Um, and 
So our, our a system that was already designed, frankly, almost to fail is 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 struggling to to you know to to even you know it, it, I don't I don't even know what to say. I, I I'm kind of out of analogies. It's just it's awful, and we're 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 trying to get them and pressure them and help them uh, to improve this system so that people actually get the funds. But as you say, I mean. You know, we we can do all the executive orders we can, but if they can't just fix the operational issues they have, and if they if they have a hundred people they're bringing online, they should be able to get these phones uh, back and up and running. I believe the term you were looking for is fuster cluck. Uh, no comment, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Senator. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for your coverage. All right, and just just so you know, this this will not air tomorrow. I'm going to hold it for the Thursday morning show. Okay. All right. Thanks. Hey, thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. The man responsible for Florida's miserly unemployment system is threatening to tank a federal bailout bill for coronavirus because he thinks the jobless benefits are too generous. Florida Senator Rick Scott says increased unemployment benefits in that rescue package make the bill untenable. He and three other Senate Republicans are threatening to stop the bill's passage over a $600 per week increase in payments to displaced workers. Scott took to Twitter to say, we shouldn't have policies in place that disincentivize people from returning to the workforce. And he told McClatchy, D.C., we cannot be paying people more money on unemployment than they get paid in their job. Back when he was governor, Scott led the drive to reduce benefits to unemployed workers. Floridians can get a maximum of $275 a week for just 12 weeks. That is the lowest amount and the shortest number of weeks in the country. The State University System's Board of Governors confirms the appointment of Alexander Cartwright as the new president of the University of Central Florida. Cartwright, who spent the past three years serving as chancellor at the University of Missouri, was selected last week by the UCF trustees, ending a six-month search. The state board unanimously confirmed the appointment during a meeting that was held by teleconference because of coronavirus precautions. Your calendar of events, the University of Florida Board of Trustees will hold a series of committee meetings beginning at 10, followed by a meeting of the entire board at about 3.30. You can watch on the web. The Florida Development Finance Corporation's Board of Directors meets at 10 in Winter Springs. The Florida Supreme Court releases its weekly opinions at 11. U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle is holding a pretrial hearing in a challenge to a state law implementing a 2018 constitutional amendment that restored voting rights to former felons who completed their sentences. A trial in that case is set for April 27th. And the Northwest Florida Water Management District Governing Board is holding a conference call at 1. And it's time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, featuring two cases of indecent exposure. Police say a Florida man walked into a shop in Jupiter, stripped down to his underwear, and began causing a disturbance. The clerk, fearing for his safety, gave the guy a candy bar and asked him to leave, which he did. Problem is, he didn't go far. Police found him in a nearby parking lot, and by then he was completely naked. The arresting officer says he appeared to be under the influence of drugs, and when a paramedic tried to check, the guy freaked out. After several doses of a sedative, the man was finally arrested and charged with indecent exposure. Police in Jupiter also responded to a call in a different parking lot where they found a man who was so intoxicated they asked him to just sit down before he keeled over. While waiting for his ride to arrive, the guy said he had to pee, and he pointed to the ground. When the cop said, you can't do that here, he dropped his pants and whizzed on the front bumper of the officer's car. He's charged with indecent exposure. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.